Hi, everyone. It's so great to have you here. It's Jen Newall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down to talk with Janet Pollack all about the seven mistakes new managers make. Let me tell you a little bit more about Janet. Dr. Janet Pollack is a global leader in leadership development and coaching. She has coached leaders in the U.S., China, Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, Puerto Rico, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. She is an international presence. Janet's also a retired officer from the U.S. Marine Corps. And as a retired Marine officer, Janet knows a thing or two about what it takes to be a great leader. Her no-nonsense but lighthearted approach is what separates her from the boys. And she creates transformational results for even the most struggling leaders. And we're going to be talking about her book. And she wrote this realizing that managers are often too busy running their business to pay attention to their employees. She felt compelled to teach organizations how to get clear about what effective leadership really looks like. Her new book, The Seven Mistakes New Managers Make, does just that. Janet's made it her mission to help people find their own voice in a noisy world and lead from within. And so enjoy our conversation as Janet and I talk about the seven mistakes that new managers make. Hello, hello, everyone. We are so excited to be talking about the seven mistakes new managers make. And I am so excited, Janet Pollack, to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining the Leadership Habit Podcast. We are thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much, Jen. It is a delight to be here. Oh my gosh. So we're going to go in and I love that you wrote a book of about you know the seven mistakes that new managers make, because I will say admittedly, I mean, I still am, but I made so many mistakes early on in my career. I still make mistakes, but there's so many notable ones. And I feel like I almost wish, because I didn't have a mentor right off. And I just Mm -hmm. wish that I had the fortitude to probably pick up a book or look at like, what are the things people, the mistakes people make instead of just assuming that I'm the only one on the planet that's probably getting this wrong, you know, which I think sometimes we do, but We're going to talk about your book because this is such an important topic, especially with, you know, the world. There's a lot of people moving around. So we've got a lot of new transitions happening. But before we dive into that, Janet, let's go ahead. Share with the Leadership Habit audience. Tell us about yourself and how you came to be because you've got a great story. And I think there's just so many leadership lessons to learn from within that story. Great. Thank you. So I graduated uh, from one of the schools, University of Wisconsin. and um, I'm a Badger, too. (laughs) Yeah, oh, there we go. Um, I went to Stout, which is on the other side of the state, and um, was uh, trained as an educator, an early childhood elementary ed teacher. I graduated in the middle of recession. I scratched my head and said, now what do I do? Because jobs were few and far between. Um, Public schools were cutting back in terms of teachers and budgets were very tight. And so I looked around and I said, now what do I do? I could either get a master's and then be really unemployable or I could do something else. (laughs) And so I looked around peace. It was at a time in the world that peace was breaking out all over. And so I looked at the military and the Marine Corps recruiters were just really excellent at what they did. They pushed all of my buttons around belonging and esprit and um, being able to um, serve my country. And so Uh, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I became a personnel officer is what it was called, which is HR. Um, At that time, women were not in combat roles. I knew that going in. And my job, you know, was to be able to support our combat roles and um, ensure that 
individuals were paid well, they were promoted well. And that formed, I think, a real foundation for me in terms of what is leadership. Um, the Marine Corps and, and the other military services in the United States as well really form the foundation of what is leadership. They spend hours and hours training on it, teaching on it, um, assessing on it. And so that formed the basis of my understanding. I spent um, three or four years on active duty, then got off active duty, went for government to work for a government contractor in an HR role. And, you know, then the rest was history. Um, it followed me around. I spent time both on active duty and in the reserves over the years, like most um, military people do. And um, and then went into consulting when I moved back to Minnesota. So it has, uh, while I got a chance to see a lot of changes for women in the military in those 20 years, um, I also got to understand what it's like to be a woman in a in a primarily male dominated organization. And um, I when we, you and I were talking before, Jen, you know, I said, you just go for it. You be yourself. You um, le lean into who you are in no matter what organization you're in. And um, it served me well. And I am very proud to say that I'm a retired Marine officer. I love that. Well, and I think there is, I, I'm so curious. I mean, I know we're going to get into a few lessons that you learn from your service, but when we do like at the military, whether it's in the U S or any other country, like leadership is the backbone of what that looks like. And I'm, you know, a lot of us are seeing that play out right now overseas. The, probably the most recognized example is what's happening between Ukraine and Russia right now. of just seeing the importance of having strong leaders. And of course, Though our work situations may not be, you know, that combat or life or death, you know, there's just so many rich examples of like the importance of these leadership tools, how we think about approaching people. But I am curious, like, how did you find your strength? Because I would have been super intimidated. I know you said you just go for it, but how did you find your strength to have a voice in a place where you were like, we don't typically have the voices here. Like, how did you find that strength to do that? You know, as a woman, I think that that is a yeah. very big challenge. And there are still people facing that in different parts throughout the world right now where they might be the minority and they're, you know, it's a little intimidating. So how do you come up and come through in an environment that might be maybe just not the most accessible or just hasn't seen the history of working in interactions with women? Well, I think, first of all, you find strength in, strength in numbers. When I first, uh, years ago, when I first arrived at um, New River Air Station in North Carolina, there were only two women officers on the entire base. Uh, and so we got to know each other quickly and we leaned on each other. Um, three years later, when I left, there were probably about eight. And so I think that's really important is find um, support from other women, even if they're not in your same organization, is um find some individuals that you can test your ideas out to um, make sure that your thinking is really solid. Um, and then I think you find ways to, you pick your battles very, very carefully uh, as a woman in a male-dominated organization. You know, there's lots of things that bother us, um, but you can't go after all of them. Otherwise, you're a whiner. Um, so you very, very carefully, when I first arrived um, at New River, for example, I worked worked in a hangar um, and there's two floors and I had to walk down two start flights of stairs and across the entire hangar deck to go to the bathroom. And, you know, it was 
uncomfortable because everybody would look at me, you know, they knew there was the woman officer and, um, you know, that's who she is. And, and, you know, they could kind of see here's, here's my pace of the day. Well, then another woman officer arrived, um, in the organization and it made sense for us to say, wait a minute, this is not okay. We need another bathroom up by where we will work. And so I think you, find a pace, you find a rhythm in raising your issues and then go for it with all costs. You know, once you've decided, here's what I'm going to fight, uh, here's what I'm going to stand up for, you know, you really can't back down because you will be successful. When I love the distinction that you make that there are going to be more things. And, I, you know, we can relate to that as women and, you know, we all have different experiences. You know, I've heard different ones, but we have to use our emotional intelligence to determine which ones are right to pursue. Because what you're not saying is, well, just give up and accept that. You're saying be strategic and be intentional, which is the way that we can make change. It's, you know, we have to be very deliberate and intentional. And you're just showing the example of, you know, understanding our own emotional intelligence. Like what can you do? What's reasonable? How will people respond? What can we do? What's the way to even make people listen? Um, so you wrote the book, the seven mistakes new managers make, I mean, right. <laughs> Probably emotional <laughs> intelligence. That was absolutely mine, but what inspired you to write your book? <clears throat> so it had been a for several years. My colleagues had said, Janet, you need to write a book. Um, seven mistakes was a COVID book. It happened during the first year of COVID when things got just a little bit soft for me on the consulting side. And I finally had some capacity to think about it. Uh, delight. I was delighted to, when I look back into my files, I had a half of it written already, which for anybody who's going to write a book, I encourage you to look back on your blog posts and your LinkedIn posts and presentations that you've made in the past, because there's a lot of content there all ready to pull from. And that's what I did. Um, you know, that people have asked me about seven mistakes. Boy, I made 102 the first year I was a manager. <laughs> well, you know, nobody wants to read a book about the 102 mistakes you make as a manager. And so I tried to boil it down uh, into a few um, critical ones. The reality in business across America, and I do think across the world, is that we promote really great individual contributors to managers. They get things done, they raise their hands, they volunteer, they deliver on time or before uh, things are due. And so we're like, oh, voila, this is going to be a fabulous manager. And so we promote them to manager. We very rarely give them training. Um, the statistic from the conference board is 60% of managers fail in their first two years uh, into the job. And it's because organizations don't invest in them. Unlike my experience as a brand new manager, which was in the Marine Corps, I was heavily invested in how do you be a Marine officer? Most organizations don't. I think it's a couple of reasons. First of all, they don't know where to start because there are so many managers in an organization. If you build a pyramid, you know, there's one CEO, there's three or four other C-suite office um, leaders, and then it, it balloons from there. And so people say in organizations, how do we prepare all these managers? Well, it's not that hard, but you got to do it. Um, I think like we were talking about earlier, Jen, is you find ways for them to tap into each other. 
I'm going to try doing it this way. What do you think? Oh, talk to the guy in accounting. He was just promoted to a manager. So um, facilitating new managers being able to talk to each other and leverage each other's knowledge and mistakes, I think it's another good way to get their development started if you're not going to have a full-blown training program for new managers. Yes. Well, and here's the piece that will love us at. If you're a new manager, give yourself some grace, especially mm. if you don't have what you had said, like, you know, those facilitated conversations, Hey, go and connect with this person here. They'd be happy to help. Cause sometimes in reality, they don't want to help you. They've got stuff going on. They want you to mm. figure that out so they can deal with their own problems. And it can feel incredibly lonely. And maybe you then go into your head of like, am I even getting this right? I'm curious mm. how many, if 60% fail, how many of them end up Is failure the form of like their people leaving or is failure the form of them leaving? I'm so curious what failure then ends up looking like in action. But if you're a new leader, give yourself some grace because there are a lot of examples you can likely recall. I can recall of leaders that have gotten promoted where you're like, I don't know if you had any experience in training people. And maybe that's our opportunity to give grace up, right? Of people not ever having those tools. So when you, you know, I don't know if you want to boil this down, but if you think of like, who needs to read this, like, who is that person that you kind of thought of that inspiration that needs to pick up this book? Well, I think anyone who's aspiring to be a leader in our organizations, many people aspire to be leadership leaders because there is more compensation that um, individuals who get promoted to manager who lead other people generally are on a stronger uh, pay trajectory than those who are not. So I think before you take that on, uh, think about why do you want to be a manager? And I think a book like The Seven Mistakes help you understand here's what new man, here's what managers do. Fundamentally, Jen, they work through other people. So as a manager, you have to be willing to let go of doing the work and spend more time working through other people, helping them set performance expectations, giving them feedback, asking about what they're working on and how does that connect with uh, the meaning that they derive from work. And so it's that fundamental shift from doing the work to working through other people that I think individuals who aspire to be a manager or a a future leader have to come to grips with for themselves. Yes. I love that you talk about that because so many people, yes, they want the, they want the title. They want the the money that comes with the title. They don't want the problems that come with managing people. And I think people don't realize that that, you know, I've I've heard this before from different leaders I've worked with. Like, I don't want to be a people therapist. Well, that's kind of what leadership is. You know, it's, I don't want to say you're meant to, you know, fix and aid their problems, but you are meant to hold space and work, as you had said, work through people. You will have to deal with the complexities of human emotions and resistance and how we all, you know, might have conflict or differing points of views. Like that's the nature of people leadership. So the first piece of getting really honest, like, you know, I made the mistake early on in my career of being that person. That's like, I want, you know, the fancy title. I want that recognition. I want the visibility, right? I was high ego and I want all of that. And I didn't think about the other side of it. I didn't think about like, what do I feel prepared for that? Am I going to be able to do this? And so I like that that's a starting point of, if your curiosity is there, if you're starting, just really coming with, why do you want to lead people? Because that paycheck will get you so far, but you still have to perform the day-to-day of people leadership. And so how are you going to do it? 
Crosscom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Let's dive into your book, The Seven Mistakes That Leaders or That New Managers Make. So what's one of the what's one of the first mistakes that you notice? One of the first mistakes is the first chapter, which is not transitioning from an individual contributor to a manager, mm. is to not have that sense that I'm not going to do everything now and I'm not going to have everything done my way. That's the other challenge, I think, as new managers is we think, okay, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to delegate, but you're going to have to do it exactly the way I did it because then it will be satisfactory. And of course, that's a trap that new managers uh, run into. I think another one is not having a plan for execution. You know, we often jump into a manager role and just assume the team knows what they're responsible for, what they're supposed to be doing. And I talk a lot about how do you set the team up for success by describing the team purpose? Why does it take a team to do the work of this of this group? And why aren't we just a bunch of individual contributors? And what are we expected to accomplish? Uh, so I think that's a really good one. Um, I talk also about well, failure to give hold feedback. Hold on, I want to go oh, back go to like, yeah, let's let's dive into a little bit of, you know, understanding how to set expectations and even just thinking like, I, I really like the pivot point, right? Transitioning from that individual contributor to a leader, because I think that you see new managers that can very quickly go into burnout and overwhelm because they are trying to do it all. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you. I, I feel like I'm just hearing it more and more right now, but that might also be the deficit of resources. People are having to absorb, you know, the roles and responsibilities of the people that have left, but just watching the new leaders fall into the prove it system, like, you know, individual contributor, I got to do it all. I'm curious what your take is on that because I just hear either so many insecurities, right? The insecurities of like, can I do this? Well, I mean, I'll just do it if I, if I don't know how to get someone else to do it or the imposter syndrome, like I better do it all. Otherwise they're going to realize, you know, that they picked the wrong person. I'm curious your <laughs> takes on that, of what you see when working with your clients. What I'm seeing right now is that everybody, like you said, Jen, is really, really busy. That um, I, I think coming out of COVID, we're all worried that an, a recession is just around the corner. So let's do, 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 do. And we are not pausing either as individual leaders or as a team to kind of say, so what's most important? What are we really expected to accomplish? What do we have the capacity to accomplish? And how are we going to get it done? I think as a new manager, if you can start with just that. Uh, and sadly, I think, you know, that's about, about being 
It's really about how is our team going to work together? And I think so many managers get caught in that trap of, well, we have so much to do that we can't take time. I can't take two hours to say, what's the the purpose of the team? Who's going to be responsible for what? And so we just keep going full throttle and we may not be doing the right work uh, of the team. And so what I hear you saying is, you know, when you're starting out as a leader, maybe some of us are operating on the wrong assumptions, the assumptions that the team understands their purpose or how their work connects back to the bigger picture. The team understands what's expected of them um, or how they're supposed to show up in the team that we come in with a lot of assumptions that might actually be wrong. So how do you start that? I mean, you talk about the purpose. So what would be your recommendation for if you're an emerging leader, even if you're someone that's on a team, you can still do this, right? Just because you yep. didn't do it in the beginning doesn't mean that you're just a lost cause. How would you recommend starting with purpose or just even starting to establish kind of that team framework? Well, I think you set team aside. You know, this obviously is not a 15-minute conversation. So um, taking time to do it, um, I think, and then saying, so why why do we need a team to do the work that we did? Uh, When I was writing my book, my husband was the facility director of a large cathedral church in downtown Minneapolis. And I said, "Uh, Joe, what is the purpose of your, you know, your facility team? And he said, well, to keep the church clean. And then I probed a little bit uh, more deeply. And I said, so for what purpose? And that really got him to thinking. And he actually did do a team purpose with his team. And he discovered that, yes, keeping uh, the this beautiful old church clean was part of the task. Keeping it in repair, of course, so that buildings didn't, you know, windows didn't leak and um and, you know, maintenance costs go up. But what they decided fundamentally is the purpose of their team was to create a distraction-free environment. So when worshipers came, they were focused on their spirituality and not the stains on the carpet. Yeah. And, you know, it gave, again, new purpose for the custodians in the building who, you know, spend a lot of time vacuuming and cleaning windows that they their deeper purpose was to create a spiritual relationship for the parishioners. And I think that's where then you help employees find meaning into the work. Even if the work is mundane, you know, think about somebody who sits on a customer service desk all day and generally receives incoming calls about things that are not right. The app doesn't work, the package didn't come, the um, the thing costs more money than they thought they would. How do you help those individuals connect to a broader purpose? It may be a purpose about, you know, getting product that is helping people's lives into the hands of customers. It may be to make sure that their customer experience is flawless and engaging. And so helping people really connect with why are they coming to work every day? And how does that bring meaning is, I think, what purpose is all about. Yeah, it's the purpose. And I love that you talked about, you could identify your purpose as I'm here to keep the church clean, or you could look at it as, which is, I feel like a more, that's the action that you do, right? We all know what we do. And I think that's the trap. That's the individual contributor. We're very heads down into the, the tasks that we need to do, but not really recognizing the significance, the importance of like why we even created these. I will even say as, you know, as a new employee, as a younger employee, there'd be sometimes that I would even 
because I didn't have well-developed emotional intelligence, I would have like the eye roll moments of like, why am I even doing this redundant thing? You know, and there's so much low hanging fruit within emerging leaders by just connecting people to the why and people see it everywhere, but yet we don't do it. And so I, you know, someone might be listening and like, given, oh, that's so obvious, but are you really doing that? Do they really understand their purpose? Now, I, I just think that that's a beautiful example that you gave, because I mean, how much better and just more significant and important would I feel if I really understood that I'm creating a positive impact on a worshiper's life versus it being, I'm just keeping it clean. You know, it's, yep. it's, there's just so much more beauty in that. One of the other pieces that you talk about is feedback and mm-hmm. feedback, right? That's the thing that I feel in some reason in corporate America, even people that think that they have high EQ think they receive it well or give it well. And you know what? In actuality, there's a lot to consider when it comes down to feedback. So what do you see in the form of feedback as a, as a mistake? Well, I think the mistake is not doing it and not doing it on a regular basis. So feedback is not this enormous confrontation. It's really simple and straightforward, and it focuses on the future and not looking back on the past. So great feedback includes what was the behavior, what was the impact of the behavior, which I think we often miss, and then what would you like to see next time? That's a fabulous conversation. It only takes about, you know, it's a 10-minute conversation, not an hour conversation. I think we think about it as being difficult to do because who wants to talk about the mistakes that they made? I think people often know that, you know, a presentation doesn't go well because I didn't spend enough time preparing. Well, I know at the end of the meeting that it didn't go well. And the last thing I need is my manager saying, Janet, you really goofed. Uh, But if that manager was to say, yes, I understand that that didn't go so well. Here's where I saw it not going so well. And how do we get it right next time? And that's really the value of feedback. I think the what I talk about in the book is creating an environment where everybody feels comfortable giving feedback to each other and not just the boss, not just at performance review time, but throughout day in, day out, week in, week out. And that the boss is also aware of getting feedback herself, that she's open to feedback, that she's out there seeking feedback regularly. We just finished a meeting. Gee, how do you think that went? What could I have done to be more effective in getting them to yes? How could we have gotten to yes sooner? Um, looking for actual development uh, suggestions about being more effective going forward. Yeah. Well, and giving yourself permission, I think this is where it's starting with our own vulnerability and humility. Hey, maybe I didn't do that well, or maybe I could have tried a different approach. And, you know, the, the first thing that you led with in terms of feedback is identifying the behavior and the impact of the behavior. And, you know, I think new leaders may not understand that they see it and it becomes or it can feel and sound more personal because they don't understand that you really have to drill into the behavior, like the behavior of the passive aggressive email or the eye rolls in the meeting and how someone feels then. But, you know, and so I think that's a really important piece because leaders sometimes or maybe new leaders, we just look at it as everything's personal. So if I'm giving you this feedback, then you're going to take that personally. But yet, by the framework that you just shared, it allows you to depersonalize it. It's not mm-hmm. about you personally attacking them. It's mm-hmm. not about you course correcting it. It's describing 
how we need the future state, how we want to come together and how we want to show up. Um, I'm curious, how do you give feedback up? Like, because there, you know, especially if I'm further removed, I am very reluctant to ever give feedback up, right? It's kind of that in my head, like, who am I to give you feedback? You've created this success. Like, I'm not going to be the one, or I don't want you upset with me because I'm giving you feedback, right? And the example that comes to mind for me is when I even hear leaders that are like, I'm a people person. And in my head, I watch what they do. And I'm like, you are not a people person. You are not a people person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. You are really successful in these things, but you are not a people person. But because of your position and your seniority, I I don't feel comfortable telling you that. And so Mm -hmm. what would be, you know, a take for, or what would be a, how would you approach that situation? Well, Jen, it's a good point. And I think giving feedback upward is always a challenge. The first step is to prepare is to figure out, and and I encourage people to actually write out their own script. You know, so you're giving a feedback to a manager about being critical during meetings, for example. So again, back to the model, what is this leader doing? What's the impact? And I think sometimes busy, busy senior leaders don't pause to think about what is the impact their behavior is having on other people. So if they're being critical in meetings, people are shutting down and not sharing their solutions. That has a business impact. And in this busy environment that we're working on, that leader may not appreciate that that's what's really happening. So being able to um, think about both the behavior and the script and then offering a suggestion. I work with a lot of executives, Jen, as I know you do too, as an executive coach. And we often do 360 feedback. So we get feedback from many places. And I have many, many leaders who've said, I've never heard this, especially the really critical cutting behaviors. You know, they cut people off. They have to be the know-it-all in the room. And they say, I've never heard this. And And I will remind them, you never listened. You know, you're you're so confident in how you approach the world that people have tried to give you this feedback and you've cut them off and they've given up. So um, often in an executive coaching relationship, we can help them really understand, yes, these behaviors are getting in your way and they will continue to whether you know about them or not. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you bring up executive coaching because it is funny when you lead with curiosity, because I'm sure you've had this where... I can think of a client that comes to mind that, you know, was like, again, a different client that was like, I'm, I'm totally a relationship person. I get this. And then I was listening to the triggers and like, the trigger is like, if I have to repeat myself, if I have to do this, I'm like, you know, like, let's take it one step further. Like, why do you think you have to repeat yourself? Like what maybe went, what didn't go well in the initial communication or where was the planning maybe not done? But it's so interesting that again, like we can be operating and I think I'm pretty obsessed right now with understanding self-awareness as it relates to emotional intelligence, because so many of us think that we are very self-aware, but I think, as you said, we actually just kind of ignored the stuff that we didn't want to hear that didn't support our worldview instead of being like, could I be that way? So I just love that you brought that up because yeah, you might've heard this feedback before and you just didn't do anything. I can tell you recurring feedback for me all the time in my life will be Jen. Your passion is fantastic, but it's also the thing that will create conflict, right? It creates how I shut down. And so I know that feedback and I can choose whether to leverage it or I can choose, you know, to ignore it. And I think 
it's easy to ignore when you fall into the habit and you're just like, oh, that's who I am. But really likely the feedback has been there all along. Um, what's another mistake that new managers make? Well, um, not taking time to develop the skills in their teams. We often think that development is supposed to happen in some course that we send people to. And what we know from the research is that that is the least uh, impactful kind of training. You know, I want to learn Excel skills, so go to an Excel class uh, for a day. And yet, if we are a team that uses Excel a lot, let's take the time to learn from each other. You know, if somebody is poor in Excel and somebody else is really weak, really strong in them, pair them together to work on a project together. So taking time in your team to actually develop skills, teaching each other about what they do and how they do it will make the team stronger because, of course, then somebody can go on vacation without the team falling apart. Right. Um, but I, I think that this is one of the biggest mistakes managers make, that they don't realize that their capabilities in their collective team is their responsibility. It's not HR's responsibility. It's not some external uh, training company's responsibility. It's really the responsibility of the manager. Yeah, you're the one that understands the work that needs to get done. And, you know, that's a myth. I love that you bring up understanding the strengths of a team because that maybe that comes back down to the purpose. Or I guess that's where I hear that of like, we all have work to do, but we all have a reason that we're here, which means that we all have value. But we sometimes forget to actually share the value that others have or the strengths that others have. We just assume it's implied. Oh, you see this. No, they don't because we've got all this stuff going on in our head of, Maybe it's competition of feeling like I have to prove it. I know I worked in a culture where you constantly felt like you had to make sure you looked better than the next person. And so then it's mm. hard to talk about strengths because you want to just pretend that you can own it all. Um, but I, I like that differentiation of understanding that, like, how can you cross people? How can you make sure you're actually assessing that? Because I think, again, a lot of leaders assume that people have strengths that they may or may not have. And it's another faulty assumption. Now we have time for one more mistake before we have to wrap the podcast. What's a final mistake that new that um, new managers might make? Well, let's talk about number six, which is sticking with the status quo. Uh, the chapter is full of ideas for driving innovation in your team. Um, you know, I think sometimes again we we think we're so busy we don't again pause to say, is there a process that could be improved, and should we take some time to do it? So I offer six, eight, 10 different strategies for um, ways to do problem solving right within your team. Some of these techniques take, you know, 15 minutes and, and it gets us out of the just brainstorming. What would you like to th have things be done differently and listing them all on the board? You know, that that doesn't get us beyond our current thinking. And so taking time to collectively get the group together and say, what might we improve? What might we try to take on now? How do we make things a little bit more productive? And then working with each other to, to define what that is and then drive the improvement. So you shared that you have a few different tips. I want to hear one sneak peek. I mean, you have to get the book if you want to get all yeah. Janet's, tick, but Janet's tips, but what is like one tip that you would have for how we look at problem solving and innovation? What would you like, what's one tip you have for a new leader? Jen, I'm so glad you asked because I want to share my most favorite, which is called make it worse. 
So you have a topic about, you know, maybe we're going to try to shorten call times. How do we make it worse? Well, we put people on hold. We don't have enough uh, people on the shift. We don't train our people. And so you, everybody goes down this list and creates, how could we make this problem worse? I love this technique because everybody has a lot of fun with it. And you're, you're smiling as I say to you, because you, so then you list all these, make it worse. And then you pause and you turn it around and you say for each one of these, how would we make it better? How would each one of these, how would we staff adequately? How would we train adequately? Again, you don't have to do all of the make it better things, but pick the two or three ideas that are most promising. Imagine what happens to the team when they turn that around. Uh, I worked with a group in Singapore, actually, that used this technique, and they found a million-dollar savings uh, from their technique, and they implemented them. So again, the, the technique takes 30 minutes. The implementation probably takes a little bit longer than that, but it really gets those unusual, unvoiced ideas out on the table. I love that. I've never heard that idea before. I've never heard that. That is, how can you make it worse? And yeah, you said it. It's like that it is inviting everyone to the table because we don't have to be, you know, concerned about making, you know, having the right solution or having the right words. We just get to say, like, how could we make that worse? I love how inclusive that brainstorming is and just, yeah, fun, right? Like, hey, there's mm -hmm. actually more than what we realize. That's so great for gathering ideas, for building innovation. I love that idea, Janet. I've never heard it. And then yeah, coming back down to like, now what do we want to focus on? Because that's the important piece. You don't do them all. You cannot do them all. You do not yeah. do them all. But like you do then turn around and say, what ones are probably going to be the most important? Janet, I, yes. How can you make it worse to make it better? I love that as a closing tip. Janet, how, what would be, you know, I'm going to ask two questions, stacking, which I know is against coaching, but what would be any final tips or and what's the last thing you would want to say to the audience? And then go ahead and tell us how they can get in touch with you. Well, I think for, for new managers is start studying management. You don't have to take a graduate class. You don't have to get in an MBA program, but find a few TED Talks, uh, find a couple of good podcasts like this one and listen to them regularly to tip, pick up tips and techniques. Um, of course, you can buy my book, The Seven Mistakes New Managers Make. It is available on www.inthelead.co, um, inthelead.co. And if you go to my website, you can download the first chapter for free. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with any of you about putting together a learning group, um, how do we learn the basic techniques of being a great manager? I think the bottom line, Jen, is just get started. Know that once you're promoted to manager, you don't know everything, um, but there are ways to learn and these skills can be developed. Yes, I love that. You just have to want it. You can't just talk about it. You have to be yeah. about it. Janet, thank you so much for joining the Leadership Habit Everyone go ahead, go into in the lead dot, I believe it was in the lead.co. That's where you can get the book, the seven or the seven mistakes new managers make. Janet, thank you so much for sharing your time, your passion, and your expertise with our audience. We are very grateful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I loved the conversation with Dr. Janet Pollack. If you want to get her new book, 
the seven mistakes that new managers make, you can head on over to inthelead.co. There you can find out more information about Janet and connect with her. And of course, if you like this episode or maybe you know a friend that's starting their role as a new leader, send this to them. And of course, if you liked it, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. And hey, at Crestum, this is what we do. We help to develop leaders too. We would love to have a conversation with you. We have a one year long leadership development program to make sure that you have the tools that you need to be effective today. So please go to Crestum.com. We would love to have a conversation with you as well. Hey, and thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great day. And just remember you're six feet above ground. So you've had choices. Choose to lead, choose to create a positive impact and choose to create some good in the world. Bye everyone.